Good morning. It's about time for us to begin, so if you will, seat and uh, we'll get started. A very heartfelt welcome to everyone uh, this morning. We've got family and and friends in and uh, some just some flat out visitors that I don't think I've ever seen before. But we're grateful for your presence here. And uh, we would encourage you and, and be happy to have you come and be with us anytime that you could to come and worship uh, God the way that we find in the scriptures that we're supposed to do so. So if you are a visitor, um, members, look around, say hi to those folks, uh, and try to get to know them and welcome them personally uh, before we leave today. Um, our order of worship uh, is that John Kelly will be le leading our singing this morning. Uh, Kevin Harvey has the reading and prayer at the appropriate time. Hunter Thompson will be supervising and um, taking care of the Lord's table. And then uh, Darren Baker uh, will close us out with a closing prayer uh, at the end of worship. Uh, before we begin, I'm going to read two verses from Romans, the 12th chapter. It speaks to us about how we should be conducting ourselves in this world. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transform, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's bow for a word of prayer before we begin. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all, for what all you have done for us in this world and in this life and in the life to come. We're thankful that you have seen fit to create and give to us this wonderful creation of yours that we can enjoy on a daily basis, that we often don't take time enough to sit and consider just how marvelous your work is. We thank you for your word that you have given to us so that we may know how to please you as our creator and as our God. And we're thankful especially for the sacrifice that you made and that your son made to come to this world, live as man, suffer and die and take upon himself the sins of the world, past, present, and future, so that we, Father, could be reconciled to you and be able to come and honor you as we are today, to worship you, to glorify you, and to praise you. Father, as we enter into this worship, we would encourage all to enter in with a heart that is set on pleasing you, and that the things that we do here will be in keeping with your will and will glorify you. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Let's all please stand at this time. We'll sing hymn number 362. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. 362. <clears throat> joyful, joyful, we adore
732. We praise thee, <clears throat> we praise thee, O God. 732. And after this hand, Brother Kevin Harvey will have our scripture reading and prayer. We praise thee, O God, for the Who have all the 
Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we come to you once again today, Father, we're truly thankful for everything that you've blessed us with in this life. Father, we're thankful for the church here and for what it stands for. Father, we pray that you'll continue to be with all the deacons and elders and the good work that they do, Father. Continue to bless them, Father, and, and may they have a long service in your service, Father. Continue to be with all the teachers, Father, that teach the kids, the preschool, and all of that, Father, that you'll continue to bless them and let them know that their effort is not in vain. Father, we pray for all those that are on the sick list. We pray especially for those ones that were mentioned, Father, that have cancer, heart problems, or whatever, Father, that you be with them and be with the doctors and help them to get better if it be thy will. Continue to be with all those that have lost loved ones, Father. Pray especially for the Ward family, the White family, Father. Pray especially for Leanne, Father, that you'll bless her and the many others, Father, that have lost loved ones here. We've lost a lot of members, Father, and a lot of precious people. Pray that you'll continue to be with them, continue to give them strength and courage, Father. Father, we pray that you'll continue to be with all the shut-ins, all the older members of this congregation, Father, that's made this congregation what it is. That you'll continue to bless them, Father, let them know that they're still loved and cared for. Help us to help them in any way that we can. Most of all, Father, we pray for our shortcomings, that you'll continue to be with us and help us to be the example, Father, in this crazy world that we live in. And forgive us of our sins that we ask in your name. Amen. Scripture reading is taken from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28. 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Next hymn this morning, 742, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. <clears throat> when I survey the
So when I found out that I had the Lord's table on Easter, I sat there and contemplated for the longest time. I said, you know what, I have no clue what I'm going to talk about. I went into work this week, and I'm sitting there in front of the ambulance, my partner doing the truck check and everything. And it's just one of those days. I'm kind of having an off day. I don't really know what's going on. I'm still kind of groggy. I woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and dispatch is yelling at us on the radio. And he looks at me, and he goes, bad day I said eh, it's not a bad day it's just not a great day he said but you're here and you're still alive and I said you know what you are a genius because I'm still alive life is one of those things that is a celebration from the point we are born to the point we pass away and we are laid six feet into the grave or whatever happens after we take our final breath when we enter this world we have moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and everything in between that are happy to see us. We open our eyes for the first time, we cry, we smile, everybody's happy to see us when we first enter this world. Now we go through life, we go through struggles, temptations, pain, grief, all the things that go along with life and being human on this earth. And then we die. And Whatever happens after that is determined by what you did during your time on this earth. But when you die, it's a celebration also because it's not a goodbye to see you later. You can look back and cherish all the memories you had with that person. You celebrate life. It's not goodbye, it's see you later. It was the same thing when Jesus gathered around the table the evening that he put this new covenant into place. He knew what was coming. He just had that gut feeling. So instead of grieving over it, because he had already prayed, talked to God, he said, you know, not my will, but yours, you know. This needs to be done. You sent me here. This is my purpose here. It will be done. He knew what was coming. 
So instead of continuing to grieve over it, he shared one final meal. He cherished all the good times and all the bad, everything that they learned, everything that they did, all of the achievements, everything was in that one meal. Now, sure, did it go the best that it could? Maybe not, but it was a celebration of life. If you would, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, that just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. It still racks my mind every time I think about it, that Jesus was 100% human, that he was here on this earth, he walked this earth, he felt pain and grief and suffering and everything that we feel, but at the same time, he was 100% God. I don't know why that racks my brain so much, but it does, because I sit and I think about it, and I'm like, that makes zero sense to me, but at the same time, it makes 100 sense, or 100% sense to me, however that's supposed to be said. But it does. If you think about it, you had to have that perfect person in order to do this. He was human. He was here. He felt everything that we feel. But at the same time, he was 100% perfect, flawless in every way. And that was the only way this was ever going to happen. Had to be a perfect person, sacrificial lamb, die on that cross in order for this plan to work. And there's your answer. Now, he was still human. He had doubts. He prayed, and he worried, and he sat in that garden, and he said, I really, 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 really do not want to do this because I know what's about to happen. I'm about to go through one of the most painful things known to man right now. But if it's what you want done, I'll go do it. That's why I was sent here. sure today's Easter. Today is the celebration. It's the remembrance that death is not the final defeat. He got up out of that grave. He walked. He said, guess what? I am back. Ta-da. Surprise. Prove y'all wrong. Death is not the final victory. It's not. And we're here in remembrance of that. If you want, turn to John chapter 6. I'm going to read 53 through 58. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up from the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. 
he who eats this bread will live forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another beautiful Lord's Day that you've given us, the nice weather, the opportunity to gather here and to partake of these emblems in remembrance of you. I pray that we take this bread in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. Let's give thanks for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you again asking your blessing on this fruit of the vine. It represents Christ's blood shed on the cross. May we take it in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. have also decided that this is opportune time to give back a portion to the church. The Bible tells us that uh, we should give back to the church. Not only should we serve the church with our time and we should be here every opportunity and, you know, spread God through our daily lives, but we should also give back to the church to further the church so we can continue doing the works and do what we're here to do. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we uh, take this contribution and further the church and further your works. May we use this money in a way that's pleasing to you, do things to show the world your light and everything that you stand for, Father, everything that is great and everything that you've given us and everything that you will give us until the day that we die. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 482. Oh, listen to our wonder story. Is that this time again? Children may go to the children's Bible hour. Oh, listen to our wonder story. Count it was the love of the Lord. Yet yeah, one came down from heaven's glory. Saving us at all, who saved us from eternal
Invitation hymn for this morning will be number 50, Are You Washed in the Blood? Hymn number 50, this time with the Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. We turn into Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is where we're going to spend our time this morning, uh, at least in the book of Matthew. About 2,000 years ago, a carpenter was from a small town in Galilee was crucified by the Romans, but three days later, when some of his followers went to anoint his body, they couldn't find it, despite their being posted at the entrance, Roman guards, to ensure no one could steal his body. Those same followers actually met Jesus right outside the tomb, and they talked to him, they touched him. In fact, uh, Jesus said to Mary, don't cling to me, don't, don't hold on to me. He's going to appear to the disciples on two different occasions. In the upper room, the door is locked, but he still appears to them there. Locked doors have no denial of entrance to the resurrected Jesus. And so he passes through that door somehow. And he is there among the disciples on the second occasion. Thomas had not been able to be there on the first, of course. And so... Thomas is there on the second occasion and Jesus appears to them and he still has the nail wounds in his hands and the spear wound in his side where evidence of the crucifixion had happened to his body. And he looks over at Thomas who apparently had had some doubts as to whether Jesus had indeed, had indeed been resurrected and he says, put your, put your hand here where the nails went in. Put your hand here where the spear went in. Do you still doubt Thomas? Later on, he's going to appear to 500 of his disciples at one time. One time, he's going to appear to his brother, James. If you know anything about James' backstory, his brother, James, he did not believe in Jesus. And all the talk that Jesus had had up until this point about him being the Messiah, about him being divine, him being God in the flesh, James had kind of laughed off. And then toward the end of Jesus' life, during the middle of his ministry, James had been concerned for his brother. He says something along the lines of, this kind of talk is going to get you killed. And Jesus says, yep, that's, that's, that's what's going to happen. And so after the resurrection, James meets the resurrected Christ. And you know what James does? He believes. For the rest of his life, he believes. In fact, he dies because he refuses to recant Jesus as Savior. Something happened, right? Something significant happened that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago when Jesus was not in the tomb. Every single one of his disciples are going to be aware of his resurrection, save Judas, of course, because 
he's already uh, gone. But the other 11 are aware of Jesus' resurrection. And to the man, they will, every single one of them, give their lives, refusing to recant that Jesus is the Christ. Why did they do that? Simple reason. He wasn't in the tomb that Sunday morning. Just like he said he wasn't going to be. If someone can be resurrected from the dead, you ought to follow that person, right? Jesus even mentioned several times throughout his ministry that this is what's going to happen. They're going to kill me, but I'm going to be resurrected. I won't stay dead. And on the third day is when I'm going to raise up. That happened on that Sunday morning. And so life changed for those 11 guys. Life changed for all of Jesus' disciples. And life changes for you too. The moment you buy into that he really did resurrect. If he's not in the tomb, everything has to change. You can't stay the same if he's not in the tomb. Today I'm just going to assume that you all, you all believe that he was resurrected. You wouldn't be here otherwise, right? And if you are here and you don't buy into the fact that, or maybe you have some doubts that he was resurrected, talk to me later. I want to I walk you through some evidence. I think it's pretty, pretty strong evidence that he was indeed resurrected. But I'm just going to assume that you believe that he was not there in the tomb Sunday morning when the disciples went to find him. And we're going to talk about, for the rest of our time today, what's next. What are the logical ramifications of your belief that he did indeed resurrect? Matthew chapter 28. This is, I think, the logical ramification of Jesus' resurrection. Kevin read it for us this morning. I just want you to look at a couple of words, three words as a matter of fact. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm going to make it really easy today. They're all the same word. <laughs> so look at the word, underline the word all. You're going to see it three times, two and a half times. And I'll talk to you about the half time uh, later in the lesson. But two times you'll see. First, Jesus has all authority, right? He has all, all authority has been given to him. And so let's walk through Matthew's gospel and understand how Jesus has been given all authority. The gospels are not just Jesus' story. They are Jesus' story with a point. They want you, the gospel writers want you to come to a conclusion after reading their gospel. Matthew's no different. This is an evangelistic gospel. He's Demanding, God is demanding in Matthew that you make a choice. And so he's going to provide some evidence. And the first thing that I think Matthew wants you to see, the logical ramification of the resurrection is, Jesus has all authority. Do you believe that? Matthew's going to convince you that Jesus does indeed have all authority. Flip back over to the first chapter of Matthew. Let's just start in the beginning, right? That's where Matthew starts with this idea of Jesus having all authority. And he's going to walk you through his gospel, pointing out time and time again that Jesus does indeed have all authority. The leadership has been given to him. You can't countermand him. You can't contradict him. He has all authority. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It's a pretty simple idea, but I think Matthew demands that we notice these things about Jesus. 
He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? The son of David, the son of Abraham, right? So Jesus is a king. His dad's David, at least his great-great-great-great-granddad is David. He's from the line of David. Now, who is David? Well, David's the great king of Israel, right? The second king of Israel, the one that God has made the promises through. He is the king. So here, Jesus, the long-awaited king of the Jews. There hasn't been a king of the Jews in 400 years when this has been written. They were obliterated. The line was not decimated, but the kingship was, was, was the, the, the kingdom was. All that stuff was, was taken away from Israel during the Babylonian captivity. And so the, the, the men that were from David's line after the Babylonian captivity, which happened in 586 B.C., all the guys that were in David's line that should have been kings were not. They weren't kings. But now, finally, there is a new king in town, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Flip down a couple of verses to to verse 18. He's not just any king, though. Listen to this. He's a divine king. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He's not just any king. He's not David reborn. He's not Hezekiah, one of David's great descendants. He's not Josiah, another one of David's great descendants. He is God with us. He's God in the flesh. He's not just any king. David had some authority, right? David couldn't step out on his own and make the rules, though, could he? David was following the rules of Yahweh, right? He's following God's rules. This new king is Yahweh, is God. And the amazing thing, like Hunter was saying, it blows my mind, Hunter, and I've been thinking about it for a few years longer, that God is 100% man and is 100% human, or 100% God and 100% man. How that all functions, it's a mystery of the gospel, right? It's an amazing thing. God with us. He's not, he's not David. He's not following the rules. He's making the rules. All authority has been given to him. Even beyond that, if you still got your finger in Matthew 28, flip back over there and let me show you one more thing. Then we'll get into the middle of uh, Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to him. He said to him, All authority, where? In heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's not just a king. He's not just a divine king. He's the king of the universe. Everything belongs to him. Everything and all, all authority everywhere. You can't find a place on this planet or anywhere else where Jesus is not the standard to be lived by. 
where he's not the one in charge, where he's not the one holding things together. You can't find a spot anywhere where that's not true. All authority has been given to him. That's just the first opening of verses here in Matthew. He's going to continue on. If you look in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's uh, account of, of the Sermon on the Mount, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, he starts walking through the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to come down to, uh, starting in verse 21, where he's, he gets into these sections where he said, You've heard it was said of old, but what I say to you. He's not changing the laws, right? He's fulfilling them. He's telling the Israelites what they had meant all along. Why? Because all authority is His. He made up these rules. The Jews have broken them and perverted them. And now He's telling them what the rules meant all along. He's saying, whether you abide by them or not, these laws, these rules are still in place. And you're still going to be held accountable for breaking them or for keeping them. Look down uh, even past that into chapter 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the, great, and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. What's he saying there? I know we sing the song a lot in VBS, you know, the wise man. And so it's maybe hard to get beyond the song. But listen to his words. Read his words again. He's saying his words are going to be what judges you. He is the standard. And if you can't match up to his standard, you're going to be condemned. Right? All authority has been given to him. We're coming back to Matthew 7, so don't, don't leave that too far. Hold your finger there, maybe. But I want you to see this in Romans 8, verse 9. In my, in my Bible, it's on the same page, so you don't have to flip far, maybe. <laughs> Matthew chapter 8, verse 9. A centurion comes to Jesus. This guy is an enemy of the Jewish people. He's a Roman, right? He is the occupying force in Jerusalem. But he comes to Jesus. He's got a servant at home that's paralyzed. He's suffering awfully, apparently. And Jesus says, I'll I'll come and heal him. Jesus makes the offer, which is unusual because most people come to Jesus, they fall at his feet, and they plead with him to do the thing. And Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll I'll have compassion, of course. This this guy just lays out the case. He says, hey, I've got someone who's suffering. And Jesus says, I'll come. And the guy stops him. How unusual is that? The guy stops him. Remember, this is not a Jewish man. This is not someone who grew up understanding the law of Moses. This is not someone who had heard all the stories and bought into God, who believed in him. This is an outsider, right? This guy stops Jesus and says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and I know that he'll be healed. We're coming back to this guy in a second with the next all. But so don't, don't leave him too far. But all I want you to see right now is, all I want you to see, right? All, 
is that this guy says, I believe you've got the authority to do what you want. Okay. He says, well, I'm a centurion. It means he's in charge of at least 100 soldiers. The most elite fighting force in the world at this point. And he says, I tell one of them to go over there. And you know what he does? He goes. And I tell one of them to come over here. And you know what he does? He comes. He says, I understand what it's like to have authority. And I think you've got authority over cancer, illnesses, death, nature. I think you've got authority over everything. I don't think there's anything that's outside of your authority. And so if you want this to happen, all you have to do is say it. And I think it'll, I think it'll happen. He's been given all authority, right? Matthew chapter 9. One more verse, one more chapter over. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is going to heal another paralytic. This is the guy that's let down from the roof, right? So just picture you're in your house, and all of a sudden you hear this, this great racket from up, from up above, and the house starts shaking. It's because the guys are tearing off your shingles, and they're, they've got a jigsaw, and they're cutting a hole in your roof. And they're letting this guy down in a stretcher, and Jesus is sitting there, and uh, he, he heals this guy. And in fact, he says, just rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Um, but what's so interesting is he forgives this guy's sins. And the, the scribes and the Pharisees are sitting there too, and they don't, they don't like that. Well, why don't they like that? Because Jesus doesn't have the authority to do that because he's just human, right? That's what they think. Because they don't have the power to forgive sins. They don't have that authority because that authority belongs to God alone. And so when Jesus does that, they kind of throw up the red flag. Hey, hold on. You don't have that authority. And Jesus says, I do. Which one's easier to say to you? Your, friends are free, your sins are forgiven you? Or to rise, pick up your bed, and walk. But so that you know, look at your text, that the Son of God has power to forgive sins. He said to him, take up your bed and walk. His authority is on clear display, isn't it? They could not get away from it. We don't have time to walk through every instance uh, of Jesus' authority being on clear display, but it's something that was obvious to them. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 7. Back to Matthew chapter 7. Right before the text that we read about the, the wise man. Jesus is going to have some more words for these guys in, in, uh, in verse 28. Sorry, it's right after the wise man. In uh, chapter 7, verse 28, here's the people's reaction to Jesus' teaching. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowd were astonished at his teaching. Check out what verse 29. For he was teaching them as one who had what? As one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. The scribes could tell you what the text said. Jesus is saying, I am the text. I, I'm the standard. The, the scribes could, could, could teach you what the text meant. But they were never the standard, were they? Jesus is saying, I'm changing things. You don't look towards the Old Testament anymore. You don't look towards the Mosaical law. I, I'm telling you what it always meant, and I'm superseding it. And in fact, my words are going to be what judges you in the last days. His authority is on clear display. Matthew wants you to struggle with that question. 
as you read through his gospel. And something, if you believe in the resurrection, that you have to struggle with too. If the tomb was empty, you have to struggle with this question. Does Jesus have all authority? The resurrection would say, yes. Matthew, God who wrote Matthew, would say, yes. He has all authority. And so if he has all authority, what are you going to do about it? Because now the ball's in your court. If he has all authority, what are you going to do about it? Maybe just in your mind, flip back over to Matthew chapter 28 and and think through that verse. And if you're not familiar with it, take some time to go back over and and look at it again. uh, But I want you to note another one of the things that he says here, this, this second all that he, that he talks about in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right in verse 19. So if Jesus has all authority, and certainly scripture would say that unequivocally he does, right? Then the ball's in your court. What are you going to do about it? Let me walk you through this. This idea of all nations. Think through all of Matthew's gospel. Where are all the, Jew, the non-Jewish people doing? Where are they at? What, what activities are they doing? They're always coming to Christ, aren't they? Remember our centurion just from a, a few minutes ago in Matthew chapter 8. This guy is an enemy of the Jews. But what's he doing? He's coming to God. He's coming to Christ. Listen to what he says here. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10. After Jesus, uh, here's what the guy said. Remember this guy says, listen, I understand what it's like to be in authority. I tell somebody to come and he comes and tells somebody to go and he goes. I think that you've got authority to, to do whatever you want. You just think it and it happens. He's like, I, I kind of get authority because I've got some, but I think you've got it, all of it. Listen to what Jesus says to this guy. <coughs> Excuse me, Matthew 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. This surprised Jesus. He marveled. He was amazed by this guy. And he said to those who followed him, so he looks back at his disciples, and what's he say? Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He says, you guys do a census. You guys go, go to Israel and take a survey, and you're not going to find anybody with faith in Israel like this guy. That's amazing, right? Because this guy's an enemy of God. He's an enemy of Israel. But here Jesus is saying, he's closer to the kingdom than the rest of you. He knows more about God. He has more faith in God than the rest of you do. Let me give you one more example of this. Matthew chapter uh, 10. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is sending off the, uh, the disciples into every Jewish city, right? Note the Jewishness of this, of this call, this evangelistic mission. Um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. 
These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentiles. And don't go to the Samaritans either. But verse 6, Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now you start thinking, Well, that doesn't sound like God loves outsiders, like He loves Gentiles. Read through the rest of Matthew's Gospel. Starting right here in this passage, there's not a Jewish person who's painted in a good light. Every single one of them are faltering and failing. Their faith is small. Are they against Jesus? And eventually, he will transfer this mission from just the Jewish people to the Jewish people as well as the Gentiles. And this, I think in Matthew 10 through 12, you see this pretty, pretty clearly. He's moving. He's transferring this mission away from just the Jews to include us, to include everyone. Uh, Jesus heals a Canaanite woman in Matthew. Mark tells us that she's a Syrophoenician woman. It's interesting to me that he calls her a Canaanite woman in Matthew. I wonder why he does that. I think he does it to show us. As you read through that and you think, a Canaanite woman, there aren't any more Canaanites. The Israelites pretty well expunged them from the land and killed most of them. So what... Where's this Canaanite woman coming from? And then you read Mark and you're like, oh, she's a Syrophoenician woman to be more exact. Matthew, I think, calls her a Canaanite woman to identify her as one of God's enemies. In the Old Testament, who were God's enemies? Who were the enemies of Israel? The Canaanites, right? In the New Testament, who are God's enemies? Who are the enemies of Israel? The Romans. So you've got the Old Testament enemies of God. The New Testament enemies of God are no longer enemies. They're coming to Him, and they're coming to Him in droves, right? Outsiders in Matthew and in the Gospel, they come to Christ. So maybe you're on the outside today. Maybe you're not comfortable in a suit and tie. I'm not really that comfortable in a suit and tie either. Maybe you're not comfortable in a suit and tie. Maybe you're not comfortable right here in in the church building. And maybe this is your first lesson in in a good long time. It's okay. You know what? God has one word for you. Welcome. Because that's what he would say to the Canaanite woman. That's what he would say to the Roman. Welcome. Bring your doubts. Bring your questions. He's big enough to handle every single one of them. You bind to the resurrection. Once you believe that the resurrection really happened, that he was not in that tomb that that morning, you believe that he's got all authority. You see that he's welcoming people who are on the outside, that he loves to work through you, that he loves to work through those kinds of people. You've got to make a decision. Let me show you one more example, then we'll talk about your decision. Matthew chapter 1. This is one of my favorite passages as we think about people who are on the outside, people who aren't all that comfortable, who don't make the greatest decisions all the time, God loves those, type, type, those types of people, and He loves working through those types of people. Check out what He says here in Matthew's Gospel. Of all the Gospels, Matthew's the perfect one to do this because Matthew is a traitor. Matthew's a betrayer himself. He betrayed before Judas betrayed, as a matter of fact, well, no, he didn't. He did. He sold his birthright, essentially, in Israel so that he could buy a tax booth so that he could tax his own people. He would have been an outsider before uh, Judas was ever thought to be an outsider among Jesus' disciples. 
And so this guy, who's on the out, tells us stories and reminds us that God loves to work through people who are outsiders. There's a caveat there, and we'll get to the caveat in just a second. But let me walk you through some of these people's stories. I'm just going to say their names, and I think that you will probably recognize them. Uh, in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 1, And Judah, the father of Perez, by Zerah, uh, and Zerah, by who? By, by Tamar, right? You remember her story, of course. She slept with her father-in-law, right? There's some brokenness there. There's some outside. She wasn't even an Israelite. There's some outsiderness. There's some brokenness that comes along with her story. Um, and in verse 5, and Salmon, the father of, who, of Boaz, by what? By, Ru, by Rahab? The Jericho prostitute? Yep. She's in Jesus' genealogy. Skip down a couple of verses to, to uh, verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David the, was the father of Solomon by the wife of who? By the wife of Uriah, the one he essentially raped? Yep. God loves to work through broken people. So if you're feeling on the outside today, God has one word for you. Welcome. He's wanting to work through you. He loves outsiders. He loves brokenness because he takes your brokenness and uses you in his kingdom. And when he does that, his glory shines brighter than him working through someone who has it all together. I think he works through everybody. I think if you've got your act together and life's going really good for you, he can work through you. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. But if you're on the outside today and you're thinking, I want on the inside, God has one word. Welcome. Because this is what he likes to do. He likes to work through broken people. If, here's the caveat, if they'll come to him. Flip back over to Matthew chapter 28. Let me show you this, this last all. At the beginning of the lesson, I said it was a, a half all. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I think that's a full all, but you're not going to be able to see it here in the text. The word doesn't appear, but the concept is there. Verse 20, he says, You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. The word is there, I guess. <laughs> but teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The way I want to phrase, the way I want to think about this is total allegiance. All allegiance. Once you believe that Jesus has all authority and you know that he wants you to come to him, you got to make a decision. And that's where we're at now. Are you willing to give your life over to him? Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, Verse 2, Jesus meets somebody. He's going to meet a leper in Matthew chapter 8. Almost every time someone in Matthew calls Jesus Lord, it's indicative of their faith. They are submitting to him. They're putting themselves under his care. Who is calling me? <laughs> For real. Okay, right? Why does that keep happening? They want to send, save me money on my extended car warranty. Okay, so Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. Every time somebody comes to Jesus uh, in Matthew, just about, they're going to call him 
Lord. And it's indicative of their faith. They are putting themselves under his care. They're killing their own agenda. They're putting their own agenda away. And they are accepting his. They're living by his agenda. Listen, the first one it happens, uh, one of the first times it happens is right here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. This leper comes to Jesus and kneels before him and he says in verse 2, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He's got a similar faith to that centurion, doesn't he? He comes up to Jesus without seemingly, we don't know any backstory with this guy. We don't know that he ever heard any of Jesus' teaching or has seen any of his miracles. But he comes to Jesus and he says, I believe that you've got all authority. I think you can do whatever you want. And I think if you want to, you can make me clean, Lord. He's he's submitting to him. He's saying, I am yours. Look down in verse 6. Here's our centurion again. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He is announcing his faith. He's putting his agenda under Jesus's, right? He's saying, what you want is more important than what I want. Flip over to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. Matthew chapter 7, 21 and 22. Jesus, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. right? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. This is, this is the exception here. And this would have been pretty um, jaw-dropping to his disciples. But here's what he means. Not one who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But what? It's not just words, right? Because you can say, you can call him Lord, and some of you may have. Some of you may have called him Master, Savior. Some of you may have done that. But have you acted like it? Have you lived like He's in charge. That's what Jesus is getting down to the point on here. He says, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who, what? Who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This this is one of the few examples of someone who calls Jesus Lord in Matthew, but they don't really mean it. He says, if you don't mean it, it doesn't take. You can say whatever you want, right? You can call him Lord, But if you haven't aligned your life under his cause, your words don't matter an awful lot. If you haven't given him all of your allegiance, calling him Lord doesn't matter because you don't mean it. Listen to what he says in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These people are maybe trying to get by on being good enough of their own, on their own selves. Maybe they think, that, well, there's enough stuff that I can do that, will, that, will, that, will, that I can buy my way into heaven. This is what he says in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? Lawlessness. You're condemned. Because you didn't put yourself under him. You didn't, you never gave him all of your allegiance. Maybe you gave him 75% of your allegiance. Maybe you gave him 85% of your allegiance. He demands all of our allegiance. And so, if you believe that it's empty that Sunday morning, you got some decisions to make, right? 
Do you believe that he has all authority? The resurrection says, absolutely. How could he not, right? Matthew, in his gospel, clearly says time and time again, Jesus has all authority. And he wants you as the outsider to come to him. He loves working through people like you. Are you willing to give him all of your allegiance? Are you willing to put your old life behind you and run with his life? Because that's what he demands. No, no half-hearted attempts. No, no half-lives for him. Complete and total allegiance. Are you willing to give that to him this morning? The first step, of course, is, is baptism. You have to be washed clean of your sins, and that only happens through the power of baptism. At that point, you're added to God's family, and you pick up his agenda, and you go with it. And you live the rest of your life devotedly following after him in complete allegiance. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning, and you're struggling, and you need to this congregation. We want to help you in any way we can. Won't you come as we stand and sing? Good morning, church family. What a lovely day it is outside. Chris, uh, appreciate you, brother. Great lesson. Uh, last week, we uh, took the middle school and high school kids uh, bowling, and um, there were about 12 of us that went, 
and had a great time, but uh, I just want to tell on uh, Steeler. Um, for those who don't know, Steeler's just as competitive as his dad, for those who don't know. And uh, his girlfriend beat him. <laughs> it was, what made it so funny is, like, he puts his grin on like it didn't bother him. So uh, <laughs> it, it was great. And we had a great time uh, uh, last week. Um, also, uh, last Thursday, I got some great news. Last Thursday, we have a new sister in Christ. Uh, Heather Dimsey was baptized. Uh, that is Sarah's mother. Um, and she was baptized Thursday afternoon. So if you get a moment to congratulate her, give her a hug, welcome her to the church family, um, please do that. Uh, WeShine is now taking applications if you have a child that's three to four years old. And... Um, Please see Connie uh, if you have any questions on that. Also, Young at Heart is this Tuesday. Uh, looking forward to that. We will be heading to the river in Portsmouth, and after that we'll go see the wall uh, there at Portsmouth as well. Um, but it's always a great time to fellowship with one another, and so I do invite you to come to that. Uh, it is a lot of fun um, uh, to, to do that together. Also, I need volunteers for Vacation Bible School. It's going to be here before we know it. Uh, it is uh, uh, the first week of July. Um, we're still needing teachers, people to help out with the kitchen, the skits. Um, I mean, June. June. Thank you. Um, but it's, it's a lava lava luau. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's about our attitude and... Um, and our tempers uh, for the kids, but it's a lot of fun, so you can dress up in a grass skirt if you want. Um, <laughs> funny story. Um, the, main, the main character of Lava Luau is a gorilla, and I dressed up in a gorilla outfit. I got in the mail, and I got into Connie's car in her front seat while she wasn't looking, and scared her half to death. Um, you just seen the look on her face. It was priceless, priceless. But um, uh, so I need volunteers. It's always a lot of fun uh, uh, getting involved with the kids. Great community outreach. We always have about 300 people here. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, so please get involved with our Vacation Bible School. Um, we also still need help cutting grass. Uh, if you can help out with that, please sign up on the four-year board. Uh, Fort Hill Buzzard Week is July 3rd through the 9th. Um, there's a sign-up sheet uh, for the full discount um, out in the foyer board. So if you have a child that's going to Fort Hill, uh, and if this, if you're, if you've never been to Fort Hill, and um, and you have a child that's never been, please see me. Please see Chris. Please see Mike Williams or Kelly Williams. Ask them the experience of Fort Hill. It is such a spiritual place, uplifting. Um, there's no place like it. Uh, and lifetime memories, lifetime friends that you'll meet at Fort Hill. Um, so please, um, please sign up for Fort Hill. Uh, that is July the 3rd through the 9th, but uh, you have to sign up by May 15th if you're planning on going to Fort Hill. Also, next Sunday, April 24th, will be our uh, potluck 
And um, it's always a lot of fun for us to fellowship with, with one another and have a meal together. And we'll have one o'clock service with no six o'clock service. Updates on our prayer list. Caroline Davidi uh, is Jerry and Nora Fry's granddaughter. Um, she was hit. She's uh, five years old. She was hit in the eye with a rock uh, last week. Um, there is some damage uh, to her uh, cataract. Uh, so she's going to have to have some eye surgery. So remember to continue to keep her in your prayers at this time. Uh, Roger Pryor, uh, keep him in your prayers. He was been diagnosed with uh, stage 3 kidney failure. Um, so keep him and Peg in your prayers at this time. Um, remember to continue to keep Jennifer and Darren Baker in your prayers as, the, as they go through their treatments. Um, and also keep Jim Haney in your prayers. He has another scheduled appointment on the 27th. Uh, and also keep me in your prayers. Um, I'll have, finally have my surgery on the 26th. So, fingers crossed. Um, and I'm sure you've heard the news about another teenager passing away in a motorcycle accident. Um, let's keep our youth in our prayers. Um, we've had, I mean, it seems like past two weeks, so many young, young kids pass away. Um, either from car accidents or whatever his situations may be, but please pray for our youth and their safety. And there's so many traveling this week, so remember to continue to keep them in our prayers, everybody who's traveling, that they get to their destination safely and enjoy this time with your family. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, looking forward to seeing everybody again at 6 o'clock. And uh, I'd like to announce this, too. We have 202 here this morning, so that's great. And glad to see everybody here. So looking forward to seeing uh, 202 again here this evening at 6 o'clock. Thank you very much. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 383. <clears throat> Just over in the glory land. We'll sing the first and last verse. And then Brother Darren, Darren Baker will have a prayer. <clears throat> By the home prepared where the saints abide, just over in the glory land. And I long to be by my Savior's side, just over in the glory land.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are truly blessed to be able to be here today on this Lord's Day and this beautiful Easter Sunday. And we thank you, Father, for, for that gift that you give us, the freedom to come and worship. And Father, we pray for those that couldn't be here today for whatever reason, those who are ill or those who just chose not to be here, Father. We, we pray for them that they could uh, return to us safely and, and come and worship back here with us, Father, in good health and in good uh, mindful spirit. Father, we uh, have a lot on our prayer list, uh, a lot of folks struggling with cancers and other illnesses and those who have been involved in accidents. And Father, we, uh, we pray for all of them. We pray your, pray your <clears throat> loving and healing hand will be with them, upon them. And we're thankful for uh, those who have re received good results from their testings. And we pray for Brother Haney as he goes to Columbus for his consultation and we continue to pray for Jennifer and pray her numbers will be where they need to be so she can continue her treatments and Father's just just so many more on our hearts and minds that uh, that you know who they are and you know their needs and and those are who we pray for Father and we ask you Lord to help us be patient in our prayers and Lord we know that our prayers are answered according to your will and not ours and Help us to realize that and understand that, but give us the faith to continue our avenue of conversation with you, Lord, through that prayer. Father, we have a lot of events coming up here with the congregation. I, I want to say a special prayer for our Vacation Bible School. There's a lot of young people that haven't been introduced to your word will be here. There will be people from our community that will be here that maybe haven't been to church in a while or haven't heard your word we just pray, Father, that something could be done or said during that time that um, your word would touch their heart and uh, turn them to Christianity. <clears throat> Father, as we go throughout this week, we pray that uh, we can be good representatives of your word and that uh, the church will show in the things and the actions that we do. We ask you to be with us as we leave this building. Watch over us, protect us, guide us. Catch us when we fall, dear Lord, and it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen.